Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Jones of all ages, welcome to the main event of the evening. It's Talking Joe with Chief and Steve. Yo, yo! Yo, Joe! Hey, 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 it's me, the Chiefy Two Shoes, joined by you. It's S Chubbs in the Hizay. You know, baby, how are you, my friend? I'm okay. Staying positive, staying healthy. Uh, I've taken to uh, indoor workouts, Chief. That's the ticket. You got it, man. I mean, we can't leave the house. I look over at my calendar and it's been eight days of self-quarantine so far. That's eight days of not being able to touch my wife. So I got a let off steam somehow. That's it. I tell you what I did. I started doing a while back the old insanity workout from Sean T. Have you heard of oh, that? Man, yes, I have heard of it. I've done like <laughs> one or two. Wanted to throw up. <laughs> yeah, it's a killer, man. It's a killer. You have it as you're on your knees. But um, yeah, I've been. I'm in the garden doing that. Uh, the uh, available opportunities. So, and I've also been doing some obstacle courses with the young kid in the house of the four-year-old she's been doing some obstacle courses i will try and post these up online we've done seven so far and uh around the garden on the climbing frame they're pretty good they're pretty good so uh, looks pretty heavy on the cardio man uh, hats it. off to you dude you are just That's a it. tower of energy listen man i'm cutting straight to the chase here <laughs> uh, you messaged me you messaged me about 10 hours ago saying uh, that you had coming on to the TV in the Oof. Australia, um, you said something along the lines of your favourite Bond is on the TV. And I was like, right, it's Roger Moore. It can only be one of two movies. It's got to be either Live and Let Die or Spy Love Me. And he was like, the Spy Love Me is coming on TV. I'm going to watch it. So I was like, oh, okay, I've got a mission ahead of me. I've got to watch this movie before the podcast so we can talk about it. So that's what's happening. So I'm going to jump ship now and I'm going to go straight to Snack Police. What? Because I want snacks ready for when I'm talking about this movie. <laughs> Let's get into it. <laughs> Potato chips, crisps, biscuits and candy. Washing them down with a whiskey or a brandy. Chewy sweets, cookies, built on jerky. Snacks running fear because we got them at our mercy. We're snackers. Attackers. Bad mother truckers and we're eating all the crackers. Munchers. Crunchers. Knock out snacks like we're heavyweight punchers. Snack police are in there. Here's out. Oh, brother, it's the third and final treat from uh, the Philippines. This one's called Eggnog Cookies by yeah, the man. Japanese brand Nissin. Um, okay. Apparently made with real fresh eggs, which is dodgy as hell <laughs> <laughs> since it's coming in a bag. But uh, here we go. I'm going to rip into them. They're, they're little pint-sized biscuits. Um, I don't suppose you guys have mini cheddars, but they're about the same... Yeah. Same yeah, yeah, mini cheddars. I tell you what, I've got a packet right in front of me. Oof, you can just go not through for the, those. Not like... for my particular snack, but just I've got them. Of course, always to hand. Like yeah. <laughs> anytime you reach <laughs> for a snack, a mini cheddar should be to hand. Anyways, I'm going to pop this bad boy in my mouth and um, see if I can taste eggnog. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now then, listen, tell me. Tastes something. like a biscuit to me. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had eggnog. What is it? Mm, it's a milky eggy drink that you typically have around christmas time it should be alcoholic i think i don't know what it's spiked with i'm not Wait a big eggnog drinker myself but these yeah, just this taste is... like regular biscuits man okay this is my missus i Cranky, think she though. has these it's, it's like um uh, advocar 
isn't it? Advocar and lemonade, I think. <laughs> eggnog. Is that no, all right? Yeah. You, you crack oh, an no, that's egg a snowball. Into... No, that's a snowball. Yeah. Anyway, I've just sent you a picture of me with a packet of mini cheddars in case you thought I was lying. Me calling the chief aunt for being a liar? <laughs> Never. The reason I've got those mini cheddars in front of me and the reason I've got this other thing is the, uh, the father-in-law, he works in a bingo hall and they were going to have a big Caribbean night and not the mini cheddars are uh, Caribbean, but uh, they had a big Caribbean night planned in the bingo hall. But of course, big shutdown in the UK of all leisure activities and he had loads spare. So basically it was snacks were going a hundred packets of mini cheddars and crisps. And Oof. because it was Caribbean night, he's got these, which is my snack. This is tropical ripe plantain chips. Oh man. So let's get Points to Chief for going exotic. Yeah, you know it, baby. These are net weight, 85 grams, three ounces. So these are, I don't know what, I've never, I think, have I ever had plantain? Not sure, I'm about to. What flavour are they? Naturally sweet. Ooh. Man, they are crunchy. They have been fried in a lot of oil. <laughs> so it's more like a, like a banana chip. Yeah. And there's no, like, uh, spice on it or anything, like barbecue no. salt. He did give me... In that box he sent me, he did give me these ones which were plantain chips lightly salted, which okay. I had yesterday. Holy moly, they were salted, man. <sighs> you had to drink about five gallons of water afterwards. <laughs> they were good. These are good. I'm putting them down because they're too crunchy. Uh, um, yay, listen, snack for listen, the win. Listen, I want to talk about Spy Love Me. If you don't like Spy Love Me, A, there's something wrong with you, and B, fast forward about 20 minutes because I'm talking at length about this puppy. Gee whiz, are we an episode of Talking Joe or are we an episode of The Out of Timers? <laughs> Cross movie coverage, talk, baby. Cheap, mm. cheap plug. Um, listen, I don't think it's any secret on this podcast that my favourite Bond is uh, Roger Moore. And Spy Who Loved Me, for me, this is part of my youth. I watched this as much growing up as I did Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Back to the Future. Oh, quick sidebar. You messaged me the other day saying that you watched Back to the Future with your missus for the first time. Uh, Not that yeah, you watched to, it for the clear, first time, but she watched it for the first time. She did. And can I just say that the appeal of Back to the Future is bulletproof. Brilliant. She, you know, I mean, she's, she's a pretty light entertainment kind of gal. She likes game shows and Pixar movies. But okay. when it comes to Back to the Future, buddy, that just hits and never hurts, man. And she it's liked a it, yeah? Thing. Yeah, loved it. If she Brilliant. had a bit more free time, we would have climbed straight into the sequel. But oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. that is waiting for us in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, listen, man, you had Spy Love Me to watch anyway. <laughs> yeah, while she was off doing a night shift, poor devil. Yeah. Social so, services. Listen, we are going to talk G.I. Joe. Uh, it's not going to be 20 minutes uh, talking about this. Uh, you know, it's probably going to be 45 minutes talking about Spy Love Me. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. We're going to keep it about 10 minutes. But listen, I'm going to go through a few of my favourite bits of this movie. Now, initially... Bond is in a, um, after the intro with the subs, he's in a, like a ski chalet, schmoozing it up with the ladies. You know, I'm not about the womanizing at all, but Roger Moore has about a minimum of five ladies per movie. I think that's the average. And uh, he's with his first one here in the ski chalet. And he gets a secret message on his watch. And his watch prints out some crazy kind of thing telling him he's got to go on a mission. Now, where was all that stored in the watch? Oh, man. 
beautiful, isn't it? Isn't it just? It's those like it's those like, like those, those things that you just have a like a, a roll yeah. of, and you kind of yep. indent the the type into the the roll of. Plastic you select tape. the letter and you press <laughs> the trigger button. Yeah. Of course, the thing's just clacking out of a a Seiko watch. (laughs) You notice that, like, Roger's using Seiko, whereas, like, Daniel Craig is using Omega. I mean, my, how times have changed. Yeah. And then he gets dressed, and this man does not wear underwear, because he's clearly naked (laughs) in the bed with the woman. Next thing you see, he's pulling on some yellow overalls. He is not bothered to put pants on. He's just going straight on with them overalls. And this is another thing where it's set up so well, where he goes out into the... um, the the mountains to do skiing and he is in bright orange a uh, bright yellow sorry with a red rucksack and the goons perfectly in black so we know who the villains are and who the hero is he is standing out there in black and it's a theme kind of throughout this movie where all the villains either wear stark black or bright red at the end on the submarine but um yeah oh and that, chief that, that but what a line scene. what a line but james i need you <laughs> so does england <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that is where it starts. I mean, this is there's a stark con- contrast here between there's a lot of comedy going on, especially in the first half. And when you get to that those scenes at the the back end, the last sort of 25 minutes of the movie, where they the prisoners break out of the sub uh, and the ta- the tanker, and it's hardcore violence. And there's, there's not really any comedy to be had. It's like it's, you know really vicious stuff going on in a war movie kind of elements but in the beginning yeah, bit man. it's just all about the one-liners and just it has me cracking up every time oh buddy this was like rogers you only live twice wouldn't you say i mean just the, yeah. the scale yeah. of it the kind of the the superpowers posed on the brink of nuclear war people getting their missiles stolen two agents from across the pond having to work yeah. together that sort of thing and the, the scale of it is so epic nice yeah. miniature that, work when, as well you should yeah uh, you should fantastic fantastic constructions going on and you mentioned the superpowers and the agents from two different things so you've got the russian agent uh barbara bach and you've got obviously roger as bond and when they come the future mrs ringo star if you please was she really okay yes she got married to ringo in like 80 or 81 so okay, shortly after f- shooting this, you know, of course, a Beatle has to add a Bond girl to his collection. <laughs> yeah. This was 1977. This sure, was 1977. Yeah. So same same time as Star Wars Episode Four, which is interesting because at the end, she's kind of tied up on Stromberg's couch in a very Princess Leia Return of the Jedi on Jabba's sail barge outfit. And, you know, maybe I don't want to say that Lucas stole from this, but, you know, it's, it's the comparisons are there, definitely. But anyway, these two characters, that twist early on where Bond kills this Russian agent on the mountain, and then you find out that this is Barbara Back's lover. And quite about the midpoint, she questions him about it, and he fesses up that, yes, he killed him. And she says to him, fine, we can work together, but when this mission's over, I am going to kill you. And that's kind of hanging over for the rest of the the movie until obviously Bond schmoozes her at the end. Um, yeah, I'm not sure that was adequately resolved, but uh, you know, you, you level um, a pistol at Bond, he'll uh, level yeah. a, a, a firearm of his own yeah. <laughs> on you. Yeah, yeah. First a popping cork, then popping something else. But listen, Lord, we yeah. talked we talked um, in very brief tones before we start recording that. I had given it five stars on Letterboxd, you'd given it four, and you weren't keen on that Egyptian uh, stuff that was going on. Yeah, apart from setting up Jaws, which could be done in any number of uh, different settings and and, and more briefly, 
I don't know if it added much. Just a sort of a back and forth between the two different sources of the microfilm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, not so sold on that. And a lot of it was quite drawn out. I mean, exactly how many times can you watch Jaws <laughs> in painful slow motion, basically yeah. like menace over his victim? They never show the death uh, very viscerally, <laughs> no. and you never see any blood down the front of Jaws' no. shirt. But you know, the implication is he bit the guy's neck off. Yeah, I've put there Jaws slow-mo to music so yeah you've got that kind of <laughs> overtone of um there's like a show going on or something at, at the not the pyramids or wherever they are and yeah he's biting into the guy's neck but then that scene where they do go to the pyramids and the 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 two heroes have kind of stolen away in the back of the van jaws has got the microfilm he knows what they're in the back of the van they don't know that he knows and that whole scene where they have the fight in the pyramids is brilliant and then they try and get away in the van and here are the one-liners that rogers delivers so (laughs) (laughs) so jaws is trying to get them they're in the van she's fumbling with the keys and he's like try the big one then he's like can you play any other tune when she's crunching through the gearbox (laughs) then he says let's try reverse that's backwards then he hits you with roger then he hits you you with (laughs) women drivers (laughs) And then, would you like me to drive? So, and he's hitting all these one-liners with a deadpan face as Jaws is assaulting the vehicle. He is cool as a cucumber, and obviously they get away in the end, and they get some uh, shared bodily warmth. But, um, yeah. Just, Buddy, it oh, was just... another time. Look, Barbara was very easy on the eye, but, like, as far as being an on-screen match to Roger... Yeah, she Yeah, is... man, we're very much in the era of, like, the females not not really being able to bring much to the party. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, they don't yeah. seem to be an equal match, even if yeah. they are like positioned to be. I mean, she's she's made to be a badass like Russian Soviet major, and yet she never ties her hair up. <laughs> so, you know, a little bit of a contradiction there. Yeah. I thought she was laying a bit of smack down though. She's chopping a few people and stuff. Oh, how great was it when, like, they both turn around in the, the middle of these sort of Egyptian uh, ruins. Yes. And, like, Bond's leveling his Walther, and she's, like, <laughs> got this, like, like kung fu pose. She's what? got a high, high chop hand ready to come down on him. Dude. Because that's kind of his, that's kind of uh, Roger's signature. He loves the chop to the neck. So, oh, that was, that was the kind chop of and the nice sort of low camera angle on his, his high kick to yes. kind of make it sweep <laughs> over the camera. <laughs> Bah! Yeah, pointed yeah. toes and, and everything. Uh, my, and he my loves, dance teacher he, mother would be proud. <laughs> <laughs> he loves double hand, kind of grabbing something and swinging for a double kick. So, oh, yeah. Man. And what, what's, your, what's your thoughts on the um, the lotus and the the that kind of scene where they individually throw different? First of all, think uh, bad guys. And first of all, it's the motorbike and sidecar with the the, the kind of rocket thing and all those feathers, and he still can't fly. <laughs> and then they throw the the, the car at him with Jaws and the gun. Then they throw the helicopter at him. Then he oh, goes underwater man. and they throw the, the kind of scuba divers and the kind of underwater submersible thing. They're just throwing everything they can at Bond, all all kind of tailored in this black with a yellow trim. It's all very fitting. I love it. So I shrieked with joy at two specific moments. Yep. The first is after the ski chase and that insane one-take stunt. Yeah. Of whoever the ski double was going over the cliff. To silence. To silence, yes. Like shaking his skis loose. I mean, that's some doing because like skis, you're clipped in, man. You have to be clipped in. Otherwise, you'd never make make the jump. Shaking the skis loose, 
falling for what feels like an eternity before deploying the good old Union Jack. And then the music hits. Oh my oh. god, those goosebumps. Some, that was a great track as well. Spy Who Loved yeah. Me, I mean, it's it's got to be up there as one of my all-time favorite love songs, yeah. as well as uh, theme tunes. Oh, when and of are. course, the second second oh, sorry, yeah, go moment. On. Sorry, man. It, it's got to be the Lotus Esprit going off that jetty and then yeah. deploying the submersible. Uh, Can the you swim? And stuff. Oh, buddy. I have a love affair for underwater action, and it's this right. film that planted that seed deep in my yeah. subconscious. And that underwater yeah, man. action, man, it's, it's, it's so good because it's so slow. All the stuff, obviously, moving underwater is slow, but they, the tension, you know, he rams one of those scuba guys with the lotus and you hear the clunk and the guy, there's blood and the guy's falling down in the, under the water. And then that submersible, she hits the actual button to, to put the smoke out, you know, under the water and mm. then hits the almost like a mini kind of a contact depth charge kind of thing. And blows that up, and then obviously drives out the out onto the. How beach. did you know oh, about that, just... Bond? <laughs> I stole the plans to this car two years ago. <laughs> She's putting him in his place there. It's brilliant, and she actually drugs him as well at a couple of points, doesn't she? Brilliant. Yeah, she does get um, the upper hand, but oh man, I just speak of like screen presence. You know, like right. okay, Roger's yeah. got it. He just oozes it. You just want the camera to linger on him. Whereas yeah. Barbara, she's got some killer lines, but the deliveries are a little bit. Well, look, I mean, she's very much younger than Roger. Obviously, didn't have much of a, a film career beyond this, I don't think. Uh, so, and I think it's a case was, of, I like, hiring the prettiest girl in the room, but not necessarily yeah. the, the most vivacious. No. I think Roger, as well, was older than Sean when he took over as Bond. True, true, um, true. What was he? He was fresh off The Saint, I guess, which was a, a good yeah, TV Simon show. Templar. That's it. Um, but at the end, uh, when they are kind of, you know, escaping... It felt that Stromberg's vessel, it felt like to me something out of Flash Gordon. All these guys dressed all in red, kind of uniformed, and all these weird control panels. I don't know, it just had a bit of a Flash Gordon vibe to it, to me. I love the fact that like they sort of take over the control room and have rerouted the nuclear missiles launched from the submarines to sort of intercept the other submarine. Uh, And so it's all being displayed on the globe. That's yeah. such a that's such a bond trope that like yeah. that's 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 how you know that you've won it. because that's it's it. displayed on a giant infographic. <laughs> <laughs> and, and let's not forget that Bond of course is an expert at disarming a nuclear warhead which he does and then creating a bomb and then he's also an expert when they get into that control room he sees a manual he picks it up and he just starts reading the manual he's like okay yeah fine i, I know how to uh, you know reprogram these nuclear submarines so he there are a few weird breaks in pace like if you flash forward to a bond film of the 90s i mean that whole sequence would have been set to music and there wouldn't have been yeah. an opportunity to catch your breath but hey it was a different time man things yeah. were stylish things were languid and yeah, yeah very flash gordon a lot of the miniature work felt like science fiction 
you know, yeah, putting did, helicopters underneath these uh, these glass bubbles and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, and then obviously he he you know they want to bomb Stromberg's base and Stromberg. Let's just touch on him for a second. His goal, well, at one point, Bond says, "Okay, fine. Um, how much do you want?" And he's like, "It's not about money. I'm here for world destruction and you know create a world under the sea." This guy is proper screw loose. And mm-hmm. it's nice to have like someone like a well-financed Wingfield. Yeah, he didn't want... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good touch. Deep cut. There was no ulterior motive. He was like, whatever you say or do, I am bombing the shit out of this world. And, okay, you know, fine, he might be a bit of a loose cannon. But he was serious. He had the tools to... He stolen the tools to do it. And then, at the end, the sub-commander says, we're going to blow the shit out of Stromberg's base. Bond says, look, give me an hour. I've got to rescue my lady friend. And so the guy goes, all right, fine, like, I've seen her. Yes, fine, you can have an hour. <laughs> Go and uh, get on this. Have you got my special delivery? And they build him a jet ski, which obviously in 1977 was revolutionary tech. And they Bro, built it's, this... it's more than a jet ski. It's like a wet bike. You see how it's <laughs> yeah. like sort of raised up out of the water on these twin skids. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Zartan's swamp skier. Yes! So, yes. In a sense, because you're kind of riding on skis that are, you know, kind of hydroplanes up out of the water. So yeah. Bond is like sitting very, very pretty. But let me tell you, I bet that thing does not corner for sh. So he, he's riding it in a, a straight line, as gingerly as you please. That was good. That scene, those scenes of quality with him on the bike. And, you know, he obviously gets into Stromberg's base. And when he dispatches Stromberg, he confronts him at this massive table. I mean, who the hell is dining with Stromberg? Because this table is about 50 feet long. And Stromberg, he's no fool. He's got a gun, obviously, placed under the table um, with some super barrel. But uh, Bond has, uh, you know, put his gun up to the barrel and, you know, you know, he knows what Stromberg's up to. And then he proceeds to walk around the table, dispatching <laughs> Stromberg with about five or six shots at his leisure. It's a proper execution job. Yeah, man. Well, <laughs> license to kill, baby. Bond is ruthless. I mean, the guy was orchestrating nuclear Armageddon. I think uh, Bond's yeah. going to enjoy that one a little bit more than usual. He got his just desserts there, I think. Oof, but um, big yeah. time. And then we're, they, he escapes. A uh, bit of a confrontation with Jaws. Jaws obviously dispatches the shark, and we'll see him again in Moonraker. And yeah, Bond escapes with um, Barbara. And then he says, don't worry, no one will, will find us. Of course, there's a British vessel that's in the vicinity and they've picked up Bond on the uh, on the bleeper, on the scanner. And Bond, what do you think you're up to? Keeping the British end up. And uh, <laughs> down course. comes the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so would you say it's the perfect Bond experience? Well, for me, I, I am not going to argue with anyone who says live and let die. But for me, this is my personal favourite and I think I will now watch Live and Let Die next week, but I flip-flop between the two. But having watched this again with more attention and tr- trying to make notes because I wanted to talk about specific things on this pod, it has, in my mind, it is, it is my favourite one. But other than that, if you're saying a different Bond is better than Roger, I am going to say you're wrong. But All right, well go. then let me phrase it like this. If you were to pick a runner-up, who would it be? A runner-up as Bond? Yes. Uh, I like Pierce Brosnan because I feel he's closest to Roger. But right. I don't dislike Sean Connery at all. It's a different type of movie. I think this is... The Roger, for me, has those comedy elements and the schmoozing and the the chops. And 
This is one of the only ones where he really uses a gun. He uses a machine gun in this, which I don't think he does in any other Roger movies. He's a lover, not a fighter, to quote Michael Jackson. But um, <laughs> I don't know. What, what about yourself? Where where do you lean? Oh, uh, gee. Uh, you know what? I The first motion picture that I ever caught in cinemas was License to Kill. Right. So hard to shake, um, you know, your first Bond experience. I, I, I'm sorry, Timothy Dalton wasn't around for more because yeah. his two films are pretty unique. And he added some serious overtones to the character, which perhaps had been had been lacking with, with old Roger, who was definitely ladies' man, uh, you know, having fun with the role, uh, but never really felt particularly three-dimensional i i'm I'm stepping on hallowed ground here but he was a he was a pastiche of of the gentleman spy whereas dalton seemed like a flawed real human being he sweated a lot more on screen you know like he He was like a forerunner for daniel craig almost wasn't he in terms of the way he played it agreed yeah so something about those films just set them apart and i guess it is largely to do with the fact that they are timothy's but uh, yeah. that was that was yeah that was my era I guess, and then of course I caught absolutely every every one of Pierce Brosnan's in cinema, which yeah man it, it definitely overstayed its welcome a little bit towards the end as plots yeah. got more incredulous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, this is the new Roger Moore Talking Bond. Uh, talking Bond, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Listen, we are going to talk about some comics, but was there anything else we needed to catch up on before we do that? I think we're all sewn up, Chief. Let's talk about Sounds some comics. Good. It's comic talk, it's comic talk, baby. Chief and Steve discussing like crazy. Larry Harmer riding these bad boys, making sense of the wackiest toys. Listen as we talk about story arcs, making noise louder than junkyard box. Talking about character motivations and all the various G.I. Joe fun locations. Okay, we are covering issues 173 and 174 for this particular episode. And what we do need to do is do a recap. So, last time on A Real American Hero. Flint, Lady J and Roadblock use information uncovered by Sneak Peek to infiltrate Darklon's secret bunker and take the villain prisoner. During their extraction, enemy fire manages to wound both Darklon and Lady J. With limited supplies at hand, Flint decides to save Lady J from her fatal wounds, but she stops him, insisting that the mission comes first, even above her love. As the helicopter crash lands on the USS flag, Darklon is carried off, and whether Lady J will survive or not is still in doubt. Back in Brighton Beach, the Russian Arashikage Dojo is attacked by a mysterious new enemy, the Blue Ninjas. They are pursuing the Russian master, but soon turn their attention to the three other ninjas, Storm Shadow, Snake Eyes and Billy. After a trying battle that leaves Billy fatally wounded, Storm Shadow asks the Russian master to tell him everything he knows about this deadly new adversary. Bravo, Chief. Listeners, that was a one take. <laughs> and it was Chief a double paragraph. Ha- yeah. Buddy, you are you profesh, man. <laughs> you missed your calling. Voice artist uh, is in your stars, brother. Okay, well, let's just quickly recap here. So, uh, these both issues obviously written by Larry Harmer. The first one is artist is Ron Wagner, Will Rosado, and S.L. Gallant. And uh, issue two is just S.L. Gallant with inks by Brian Shearer on the first issue and Gary Erskine on the second. So, looking at the covers, now, the cover I actually have is the, which I know will be your favourite, cover A, 
by uh, the photo is by John Haynes. It's the photo cover of the Ore Striker. And who we got there? We got Stalker, uh, Scarlet, Roadblock, and Duke. My favourite, you say? Why would you say that? Well, you're a toy man, aren't you? I am, but <clears throat> boy, oh boy, oh boy, toy photography has come a long way, my friend, because <laughs> this cover is amateur hour. <laughs> Basic. It is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who's posed these characters, but wow. Oh, gee whiz. Anybody yeah. could have done a better job. I, I, I mean, yeah, like I say, toy photography has come a long way. This yeah. cover, in framing, in topography the the backdrop that they used the the figures that they used the the pose the fact that the ore striker doesn't even have its top mounted turret yeah, i mean it's yeah. just uh, it's disappointing man this they've is mixed they've mixed modern and vintage figures have you noticed they've got a vintage stalker in the back there oh yeah they have yeah and <sighs> i'll tell you who will be upset with this and that is diagnostic 80 because a look at the like you said setup of the figures and b i don't think any of these characters appear in the issue do they <laughs> yeah that's correct gee whiz look at cover b though Hopeless. by herb trimpe that is a that is a cracker yes well done mr trimpe so we got what we got here is a head-on shot of the what is that tank that's a the m1 abrams that's it. You, main you battle it. tank and we got the we got wild card in there i've got the real small little inset so i can't really see too clearly but is that cross country wild card and who's down low Steeler. Steve, of course it is, yes, because it's yeah, an issue. Yeah, as as always, mm. 20 minutes ago I read the issue and I've forgotten it already. <laughs> um, <laughs> listen, let's look at the cover for the next one. Uh, 174. Uh, my main cover I've got here is cover A by Galant and Erskine and it is Storm Shadow with a load of strewn bodies behind him and he has been cut up. He is bleeding out. Beautiful cover. Once again, not going to pass Chris's test, but I'm going to forgive it because... Yeah, man. The only good Blue Ninja is a dead Blue Ninja, and it. it looks like Storm Shadow has been dealing death. Yes, it. And cover B, uh, Herb Trimpe, after pencils by Larry Harmer. And this is uh, kind of a coffin being carried by the Crimson Guard with Mindbenders there in the background, Cobra Commanders at the front. Again, I've only got a small insert, so I can't see it that clearly, but it looks like it's a good one. It is, but this is an unfortunate part of having just the, the inserts, and that's you don't get the benefit of comparing Larry's pencils to the end products. Right, And I yes. think there might have been a miscommunication, because in Larry's pencils, if we zoom in on Cobra Commander's head, yeah. it's downturned, yeah, yeah, which I conveys to me a sense of regret. All the Crimson Guard's heads are kind of downturned, um, Mindbender, we don't get as much detail on. He's kind of in the back. But Larry is very evident, even in the pencils, yeah. just the, 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 the mock-up sketch, that everyone is in mourning. Yeah, uh, yeah. Whereas when it came time for Trimpy to reinterpret this, I don't know if he fully understood who was in the coffin and what the importance of this funeral was. But He's almost, uh, he's almost standing proud, Cobra Commander. He, yes, and his eyes are sort of scant to the to the right which says to me he's kind of like watching his back yeah it, it it's like he's maybe in a in a, a more um, vulnerable position he's perhaps expecting an assassination attempt or something like there's yeah. something else going on in Trimpy's reinterpretation which you know Harmers is is all about pure grief 
Yeah, good spot. Uh, That's why you're on the show yeah. to call out these details. But um, we will post these images up on the socials. But yeah. That is, yeah, I'd be interested what, to see if the listeners have the same take. Yeah, on, and that subtle, that subtle difference makes a world of difference to, to how the image is portrayed, I think. A lot of poignant scenes in these issues. Yeah, you know, I, Commander. I, I was quite moved, actually, and we'll get to that. But, uh, you know, there's a scene with Cobra Commander, you know, a couple of mute panels, which are actually quite touching. You know, yeah. it's rare, yeah. rare to get that in G.I. Joe these days. Yeah. So anyway, the, the beginning of this, the, these two issues kind of, st- it starts off in the, in the relatively friendly Emirate <laughs> of Benzene, which is quite a nice touch. And we see a couple of tanks going at it. And we've obviously got the Joes that we mentioned, Wildcard, Cross Country and Steeler. And uh, Cover Girl, is that Cover Girl? Yeah, Cover Girl. Oh, yeah. And then we see the October Guard and we've got a couple of, there's some new members here, I think, as well. Yeah, man, big special missions vibe. Yeah, it feels definitely. it feels like we might even be in another point of history. Like I know it's sunset, but or maybe it's sunrise. Yeah, it's probably yeah. sunrise actually. But everything's kind of in a sepia tone, which yeah. feels to me like comic shorthand for like old timey. Yeah, and and, uh, and new faces of the October God. Are they even called the October God at this point? No, it's left I don't ambiguous. Think they are. Because it's all we know is, and they're wearing red stars, which also yeah. kind of says to me this isn't contemporary times. Because of course, the Soviet Union no longer exists. The red of star course. is is kind of a, a national embarrassment. So why are they wearing vintage equipment? It's yeah. a lot of questions. I mean, that could be you know Ron Wagner coming on for these early pages, having not really drawn much GI Joe for a long time. So maybe the last time he drew you know dana or if he ever did i'm trying to remember if he did i I think Uh, there's an alternative explanation that's literally they are trying to like do a callback to an earlier time yeah like this is supposed to feel misleading it's like hey what why is this russian tank crew dressed up like they you know from the soviet union there is a level of timelessness to this opening tank battle and it's definitely given to us by the the way the russians are portrayed and They're very I've, much the proud Soviet Union, you know, old god. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm getting that vibe, and I'm also, oh yeah, kind of unfortunately getting a haunting vibe of what's actually happening in reality right now, because all these streets are deserted in this normally heavily populated area. Um, you know, citizens are kind of locked inside or, or fleeing the area and this is unfortunately contemporary with what's going on in the world at the moment you know with people staying inside and that's just um uh, uh, not i don't want to say a happy coincidence but just a coincidence but yeah I, I got that kind of kind of chill of reading these first few pages of like wow this is relevant to today not that there's tanks down the street yet you know there well could be but um <laughs> let's, let's hope not but yeah this is um, well, there's a member of the Russian crew who's definitely guilty of some uh, grocery hoarding. This new guy, <laughs> what's his <yeah>. name? <laughs> He's got the can of the can of food that he chucks to the dog. Malienki. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Malienki, who's very much horror show light because he's always eating. <laughs> yeah. um, what Larry Harmer does ac- across this first issue is he leaves a lot of page cliffhangers. So that the first one is literally on kind of page five i think where the russian tanks gone around the corner and they see a shadow of what looks to be an enemy tank coming 
their way and then Dana says ha we're going to nail them and you immediately cross cut over to uh, Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes who have got Billy's you know dead prone body and they've interrupted Mm. Cobra Commander in his sleep who's got a nice Cobra lamp by his bedside um (laughs) And they kind of leave the body, and I kind of want they, one of those now. Damn. <laughs> the cobra lamp, yeah, yeah, Oof. and uh, not dead Billy body. Hopefully, um, they leave <laughs> Cobra well, Commander with a. You decide. <laughs> they, they leave Cobra Commander with a blue ninja head in his bed. It's kind of like Godfatherish, and mm. yeah, and one of those cobra, uh, filament weapons. Those uh, yeah. non lightsabers. I see it, the monofilament, and then this is the scene where. We get a scene of no words. Cobra Commander comes out of his bed, pulls off the cover, you know, a surprised look on his face, and then he's kind of hands on head, bending over, kind of weeping, you know. And this is a bit of, you know, cut to the heart moment in G.I. Joe where, look, you know, even the bad guy can at some point in time get your sympathy. I know I'm on record as saying that my favourite rendition of Cobra Commander is when we knew very little about him and he kind of took on that Bond villain-esque... Um very dangerous, very unknown yeah. uh, quality, but then we would not be getting the benefit of this kind of three-dimensionality. So I think I'm going to rescind my <laughs> previous opinion and say, like, in this instance, it's worth it. All the clownish backstory, make this guy a real human being. And so when he weeps for his son, who he at one point even wanted to put to death, yeah. Like, the the man is a just a mess of contradictions, but there's a real person in there. Um, and I felt genuinely moved by these, these silent panels. Yeah, it's, it's it's testament to Ron Wagner, you know, that he's, you know, mm. got us feeling that for, you know, a guy that should be... I, I, okay, no one ever hates Cobra Commander because of how he's been written and portrayed and the kind of goonish clownishness he has been at times. But, you know, he is a bad guy at heart. You know, and but here we're seeing, okay, you know, he's just a man at the, underneath it all. We cut back to these scenes in Benzene, and there's another cliffhanger moment where the two tanks kind of confront each other, and you see this scene of both of them have got each other in their sights. He says, on target, on target, and you just see the sound effect of blam, blam, as both tanks fire at each other. Cliffhanger, as it cuts over to another poignant moment where Sneak Peek has gone to see his mother you know and he's trying to explain and he's saying you know even now i can't tell you anything about where i was or what i was doing i wish i wish and the final panel is do i know you and it's like holy Mm. moly this is another kind of gut wrencher so chief he was in deep cover for a little over a year right We, we take that to be the timeline yeah so was he kind of in limbo as a deceased yeah, I think or so. K- I think his KIA. I so, think his so family more... was told he was KIA. Yeah, but then he's been missing, shall we say, for far more than a year. Because I'm just thinking how quickly Mrs. King, you know, fell into Alzheimer's and and yeah, I guess decrepit. Maybe, yeah, maybe he was, maybe he was. I don't know, missing in action for an extended period. Then they said, okay, fine. Now he's KIA. Um, right. Well, I, I, I just think like, you know, she's she's really kind of had a very quick, steep decline because, I mean, uh, way back in ARA, you know, Dusty and Sneak Peek were talking about having Christmas uh, yeah. at the King residence. And, you know, she was obviously looking her age, but she, she was pretty spry back then. Um, so in what is 
assumed to be a very short span of comic time. Um, yeah. She's, yeah, she's kind of fallen off the off the wagon big time. Well, maybe you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm I'm <laughs> fortunate enough that I've not been in a situation where I've, you know, been told that a loved one has been. Uh, unfortunately deceased after you know serving and maybe mm. that does something mentally to to someone and and kind of increases their their downward spiral but um yeah good I don't know. call man yeah absolutely so the the guilt weighing on sneak peek's yeah. shoulders is 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 double it's heavy yeah um, but nice to see top- dusty there supporting him yeah buddies because so- <laughs> dusty was a bit off with him obviously to start with to to lighten the mood a little bit, do you feel like uh, maybe Sneak Peek's uh, portrayal in that uniform is a little bit, uh, shall we say, portly? Boxy? He's a bit of a fat bastard, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy, it's very much in line with his action figure, which is noticeably <laughs> a little bit more padded than, than the is average G.I. Joe. Okay, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know if that was deliberate on the artist's part, but uh, I just thought it was it's kind of cute to note that... Uh, right. Even his time undercover, he he was still keeping the pounds on. Yeah, yeah. We we cut. There's so much going on in these issues. We cut back and we get the revelation that the Joes and the whoever the the Russians are, whether they be October Guard or not, are actually not using live rounds. They're using kind of paintball because they're trying to sell their wares to the Emirate of Benzine to to show they've got the best equipment, the best hardware. Will he buy their stuff? And they'll end up teaming up because what happens is in Trusia Abysmia, there is a, a kind of a revolution going on and they're going to invade the forces of Benzene. And, you know, we kind of see that in full effect going across the next issue as well. At this point, I'd like to raise the personnel used on the G.I. Joe tank team. Yeah, please do. We've got Steeler, the driver, Covergirl, the gunner. The loader is cross country. Yep. And the tank commander is wild card. <laughs> you never want that man in charge of a tank, surely. I just think it's a, a misappropriation of or misallocation of uh, of specialties. Yeah. I mean the guy who should be behind the wheel, the guy who's who's chiefly responsible for breaking stuff, yeah. is wild card. Yeah. <laughs> Steeler, however, is firstly the most senior man on the on the team. And secondly, the highest ranked. I think he's a second lieutenant. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Whereas Wildcard is the lowest ranking enlisted man on this particular crew. And okay. I know pay grade does not mean much when it comes to G.I. Joe. It's normally the, the best man or woman for the job who calls yep. the shots. But in this instance, like everything is going for Steeler and pretty much nothing is going for Wildcard. It feels to me like he's had a bit of a personality transplant. Like, all of a sudden, he's very responsible. He's talking to the Russian commander, even with his shirt ripped open. (laughs) Like, Wildcard is so destructive, he doesn't even have any buttons on his shirt. No, no. I mean, I'm a Wildcard fan for the comedy value of him breaking stuff. Which doesn't happen in this issue, because he's not the responsible leader. Exactly. If you're going to put this guy in a comic, make sure that he goddamn breaks something, or else... So, yeah, I don't see the reason why he was in here, personally, but anyway. Um, the other bone I have to pick, obviously, being a toy guy, go on. why am I seeing a story about an M1 Abrams tank when the G.I. Joe Mauler tank yes. is just begging to be used? Yes. And then I guess you would have had heavy metal instead of Steeler, would you? 
I, I don't mind the, the personnel being uh, the same, except with the Mauler, I think you're more likely to get away with a three-man crew because the okay. Mauler has an autoloader. Uh, so, and I mean, cross-country feels superfluous, so we could drop him and keep yes. the, the same roster. And, you know, I don't think the story would be imp- impacted in any way. No, but, shout. hey, man, what what can you do? I guess they wanted to contrast the real-world Russian tank with its Western equivalent. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Mm. Maybe Wildcard's the equivalent of, of that new new guy who's kind of horror show light. I've forgotten his name already. But Malienki. That's it, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Just say um, it with a Russian accent. You can sell it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Malienki bullshit. That's what that is. Rounding out this issue, we get back to the Arashikage Dojo and we actually find out that... Um, your man, I've forgotten his name already, the, the Russian... Um, uh, Boris. Uh, Boris, that's all it, these yeah. Russians, and, yes. And his... <laughs> his um, I will accept Russian master. Russian master. Go, his second in command is uh, uh, Moscovina, and she reveals herself to be pretty much a Terminator. What, what, was, that? what was that Mark Terminator? 101? Was it mm, no. the model? Yeah, one zero one, I think. Geez, yeah. Cyberdyne Systems. That's yeah. it. And she's pretty much one of them, I think. Buddy, the- this was uh, actually a shock reveal to me the first time I read it. Yeah. Turn the page, and bam, she pulls her face off. Yeah, she has got a more realistic mask than Snake Eyes. <sighs> Must Jeepers. do, man. But very yeah, what, expressive. So what is what is? It's just her brain, I guess, and her eyes inside that metal casing. I would imagine. Mm. Um, and you find out, they tell you that she actually says, the acolytes and lower levels, when talking about this blue ninja cult, the acolytes and lower levels are enhanced humans, the middle level are true cyborgs, and the upper echelons are no longer human at all. So literally, it is robots running the show for these blue ninjas. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you mentioned that your your not necessarily disdain, but your dislike for characters that maybe aren't based on toys i'm actually at this point in time and again i don't want to i say this every time but i'm going to repeat it i say that i'm not going to repeat it but my knowledge (laughs) of these issues is a bit hazy even though i've read them before and i'll probably say that again next time but i'm actually okay with this blue ninja stuff that we've seen so far even the reveal of the cyborg stuff i'm actually okay this is this could be quite cool so whether or not I'll change my mind later, but are you already off this bandwagon? There's a tangible threat to G.I. Joe in the form of Cobra. Yeah. Uh, Cobra has not been sufficiently stamped out, and yet we're dealing with this this new third faction. Yeah, I get they, that. Yeah. I guess they're inserted to kind of change the game because, like, we're at a stalemate. Homer can never conclusively you know, have a victor between G.I. Joe and Cobra. So he needs to introduce a new disposable third factor. Yeah. Um, so I, I get its storyline function. That's fine. But it just points to the fact that, like, G.I. Joe continuity is so contrived now. Yeah. We have to inv- yeah. we have to reinvent the battle android troopers. I mean, like, Cobra got as, as advanced as this. Yeah, uh, that's what they are. Uh, Effectively, uh, these are bats, aren't they, really? Yeah, well, they're the... Um, uh, well, it was actually one of Trimpy's brainchilds from issue 119, where he had the kind of the lifelike bats yep. that could be kind of inserted into society. That, yeah. that whole storyline actually just concluded in one issue. But here we've gone back to the well of artificial intelligence being the enemy. 
And I'm like, oh, man, I just want to see more G.I. Joe versus Cobra. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, Another thing I want to pick your brains about, which we touched on last episode, is we see Darklon on the USS flag with his mask, um, <laughs> sans uniform, and he's kind of flesh skin colored. Now, we, you posited last <laughs> episode that maybe that green was his skin. Now, maybe that was the intention for the toy maybe this is just a, a comic <laughs> a comic adaptation of the character who and Chief, Gallant- unfortunately you'll never know when i'm speaking fact or generally held fact <laughs> or speaking out of my ass and uh, i think it might have been a case of the latter so you in poker terminology you're starting to learn my tells right but you know like yeah look i i just i just was 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 Positing that maybe somewhere along the line in the creation of this yeah. character that the design was supposed to be a reptilian snake man a la Cobra La. Yeah, I think I think there is some merit in that though. You know, looking back, I, I had a good long look at that design and I think you're probably on the right lines. And, you know, when they're designing these toys, they don't need to necessarily create a massive convoluted backstory. It's just like this is cool let's just bodge all these bits together and look what we've come up with this can be this guy mm. and you know Destro's um, distant cousin hey. that's it yeah and then obviously <laughs> it's up to Larry Harmer and the writers and artists on the comic to kind of decide what they want to do with that character and flesh out the backstory so uh, you know, I definitely- love the fact that his mask does not come off in fact I read <laughs> all those lines that he has with yeah. Bane's voice yeah brilliant somebody Amazing. get me a tongue depressor to stop me from gogging <laughs> Yeah, that is the way. That's the one. Um, Great stuff. Uh, I had another question for you here, actually. And that is... Shoot. They mention here about someone spotted three different Hiss tanks. And later on in the next issue, they actually say they've got five different Hiss tank versions. Is that a thing? Are there five different Hiss tank versions? So many, Chief. All right, okay. Wow, I'm behind the curve. Brother. (laughs) 3D Joes. No, in fact, 3D Joes can't save your in this situation okay. unfortunately you'd have to go go even deeper right. yojo.com yes. will have the full list of his tanks for your perusal okay cool at least the the officially released ones are you happy mm. with the, the the depiction of the his tanks here baby you know it okay these good. are perfectly on model yeah I, I i come back to the fact that i think we're dealing with artists who were gi joe hardcore like right. These images, these vehicles, these designs are so steeped in their own upbringing that they are very, very faithful to them. They acknowledge the fact that, like, don't don't reinvent the wheel. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, you don't mess with a perfect design. Yeah, these are geometric perfection. I I mean, it feels almost like they they three D scanned the his tank and then kind of, you know, just basically traced over whichever angle they decided to to pick. Yeah. Well, these his tanks are in a bit of trouble early on because I like the fact that here that so the 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 cobras, which is a mixture of kind of pythonized cobras in these his tanks with the uh, True Seal Abysmia army, they've come into the uh, the Emirate of Ben Benzine, and the Joes, I like it, are using almost guerrilla tactics. So they're kind of setting bonfires to set off the heat heat source radars they're they're setting up market stalls they're kind of hiding around corners and really using a um like i said these guerrilla tactics because they are almost like reminiscent of round issue 100 where mutt and spirit are with those 
the, that youth gang and their kind of mm. the Millville invasion. They're using all these tactics with a smaller force against this bigger army. And, you Oof. know, I really like the way it all played out. What did they drop on a Cobra bug back in that issue? It's a safe. Oh, I think it's, a, it's like a big iron cast safe. Oh, the bug didn't stand a chance. <laughs> <laughs> that thing's meant for, for doing Lotus Esprit action under That's the it. waves. <laughs> That's it. That should be fighting Bond. Um, Damn. But yeah, they even mention Raiders of the Lost Ark here as well, doesn't he? He swings, Steeler swings the tank <laughs> I knew in. you'd love that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he says something like, let's hope they're not into movies or something. Let's hope uh, the true seal Abysmian tank drivers aren't movie fans. But yeah, Gallant's drawing the heck out of this issue. And mm. the action is just so pretty much non-stop. I, I, you know, really good stuff. And once again, just seeing the vehicles represented so faithfully... It's a double-edged sword for me because I'm like, yes, the his tanks are beautiful, but uh, we don't have the G.I. Joe counter to that. We, we've, we're stuck with a real-world tank, which I suppose will thrill some readers, yeah. but not this guy. <laughs> I want to get my, my mauler out and play this, man. That's it. That's it. Yeah, you know, I like that bit where he does a, he does a triple play as well. He's lined up Oof. three his tanks, and he's got some crazy... What's the, what's the armor he's using there? The... Uh, the the Shelley's oh, the using. weapon I yeah. think it's called uh, load me oh, a depleted uranium super penetrator <laughs> love it blam yeah doom 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 triple um, play <laughs> I tell you I tell you another thing I meant I I spotted here is that we cut across it's a very brief scene it's one page of Castle Destro and Destro and Baroness are having dinner and they're literally at opposite ends of the table kind of like in uh, Batman Stromberg's uh, yeah, Str- either Stromberg's table yeah, good <laughs> shout or in uh, Burton's 89 Batman where Bruce Wayne is having dinner right at the end of the table from Vicky Vale and then they end up moving <laughs> they can't hear what each other's saying exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess Destro and Baroness are really good at projecting at this point. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he kind of mentions, you know, it seems Cobra Commander has suffered a death in the family, Billy. And she's really cold about it all. He's like, She's like, is that so? And Destro reels off a load of speech. And she's like, he started out as an ungrateful child and ended up as an insufferable prodigal. He was nothing. So, Do you think he put it in? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> You reckon? No. There's even the slightest possibility. Destro no. would have been the one to off him if that was the case. That's I'd it. Say, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. But I've always, I've always deemed that, like, before we really get to know Baroness in the comic books, you know, there's an overtone that, like, her greatest weapon was sex appeal. Yes. You know, she could wrap all these powerful men around her finger. And I guess maybe Billy was on the hit list. But yeah, it was all possibly. brainwave scanner induced, wasn't it? It, it was wasn't all brainwave normal? scanner induced, but I mean, you know, she's being a bit cold there. Um, listen, I've just sent you a message. Invasive, I'd say. Yeah, I've just sent you a message, and this is a page nice. I own, and this is the page of this comic where we see Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes dropping in. They're in Hackensack, New Jersey, and they're at Revanche Robotics Corp, and they're dropping into kind of have a snoop around and yeah i, I own this page and this Buddy, is if there's a page to own this is the page it's a nice man. one it's a gary erskine's inks over sl Gallant's blue lines uh bought this off yeah. gary at a comic show and uh, i think me and both peter and mark said and we bought a bunch of of pages i think mark has posted some up on the talking joe facebook page so have a look at those when you get the chance very yeah. much a V2 Snake Eyes. What yeah. version Storm Shadow would you say that is? 
well, I don't know. It's kind of it's it's a weird one, isn't it? Because he's kind of got a top which has no sleeves or sides to it, and yeah. it's not a one piece hood. It's almost like a a, a, a face mask, mask with a hood, hood over. over the top. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I think it's it's a it's a good hybrid of V one and V two. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. have the urban camo splotches, but like, I do like the way the hood is presented. Obviously, there's no cobra symbol. Yeah, dude, this is. Man, if they made a toy of this, I'd buy the hell out of it. Yeah, yeah. And they find this kind of prototype and, you know, you get the intruder alert and the the prototypes come to life on the table. And I don't think we get a conclusion to that in this issue, do we? I'm just flicking through. No, Ah, we don't. So we're going to have to wait till Mm. issue 175 to find out what happens with Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow. I don't really mind, though. We get back to some tank action, don't we? Yeah, we get tank action. Um, like we said, the the Russians and the Joes have teamed up. They're kind of laying the smack down. And then as quickly as it started, it all kind of finishes. All the Trucia Abysmia guys bug out, so to speak, because they've kind of cut a deal. There's been a revolt in Benzene, and they've cut a deal with, with the new leader. So they're happy. Everyone's bugged out. All the... I've got a question for you, Chief. Go on. The last time we saw Destro, he was pulling a gun on... Cobra Commander, yeah. Every time, yeah. <laughs> he's either getting guns pulled on him or katanas in the night pulled That's on it. him. Uh, it's just it's a bit tedious. Is that is that maybe a Larry Harmerism, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it seemed like Destro was in a rush to go somewhere. He he, he and Baroness jumped in a fire bat and off they went. That's right. After learning that um, the GI Joe was closing in on 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 Darklon. Yes. Um, but but it seems that they were in a rush to get back home. Because yeah. the next time we see them, they're back in Castle Destro yeah. without any real sense of urgency. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, I, don't know if, I don't know if Larry's just forgotten about what he wrote, you know, a couple of issues previous or not. But Chief, it is our sworn duty to defend <laughs> Mr. Larry Harmer. Okay, so I think... So, I no think, prize time. No prize time, yeah. I think um, Destro had kind of... Uh, mulled it all over and he'd realized that uh, Darklon had been rescued by the Joes so he kind of knew he was in good enough hands and was safe being with the Joes rather than being with Cobra Commander so he kind of put him at ease a little bit and he went back to Castle Destro to to, to mull over proceedings. I'll buy that for a dollar. That's it. No prize in the post for Chief. I'll send myself something. Um, <laughs> we we do see Cobra Commander um, in the back of his limo with... He's always got a Televiper around him, hasn't he? He's there with Mindbender, but, and the Televiper is now has upgraded from his mobile oh, phone gee. to an iPad. I'll never get used to that, man. <laughs> a Televiper. Yeah. You could not get a more 80s trope if you tried. <laughs> and he's walking around with smartphones and tablets. It's... That's it. Um, it's a bit jarring, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and now uh, Cobra Commander wants to get the lowdown himself on these blue ninjas. So he thinks he's got a lead-in of a guy with some tech or a girl with some tech. And it's Dr. Eleanor Shen. But she has gone missing. So he wants her tracked down. And then we do get a scene of... This is kind of the cover that Trimpey, Larry Harmer had done the layouts for. Mm. And Trimpey had done of the Crimson Guard carrying the coffin with Cobra Commander at the front. And... Yeah, he is kind of, you know, my mentor says, do you have a prepared, have you prepared a eulogy? And he says, there will be no eulogy. The prodigal's return, he can't even say his son. He says, the prodigal's return mm. was not of his own accord. What we shall have is a respectful silence and rueful ruminations on my part. So he is kind of, you know, a bit gutted and... Ooh, um, I got goose pimples again, man. Damn, yeah, son. Yeah. 
Hmm. Well, um, what, I do what, like what's... seeing Cobra Kawana being more proactive, though. Just to jump back to the yeah. the fact that he says, you know, we we're gonna we're gonna kill these whoever these blue ninjas are yeah. first. You know, we're gonna get the the drop on GI Joe because we're not weighed down by the same kind of I suppose ethical uh, limitations that That's right. a, a sort of government sanctioned armed force is gonna be hit with. Like we're gonna track them down and do some damage man so that's it's nice having the commander finally taking control and t- doing some smack talk and just being more assertive yeah. that's the cobra commander i need let's have more of that please yeah yeah good shout good shout what, what's your thinking overall in these couple of issues uh if we're gonna yo joage it definitely gonna give it a, a higher ranking than than the last um arc because I love me some action, and this was full of it. The art is incredible. We get plot development, but not too much. It's it's really it feels to me like a special missions, uh, yeah. in a sense, except without a, a clear, a definable kind of parable, or like lesson. Because I always found like special missions, there was there was always something to be gained other than just the narrative itself. So it's not quite on par with the special missions issue, but it's it's definitely in the the seven category. Yep. Yep, I'm I'm in the same boat as you. I really enjoyed these two. Good I'm man. probably going to give this a high seven. Um, cracking stuff. Lots of mm. varied stories going on. Good cliffhangers, edge of the seat stuff. Uh, great art. So yeah, I really enjoy this high seven from the chief. We have talked briefly about some toys during that comic talk, but now I want dedicated toy talk. And there's only one man I go to in that scenario, and that is S. Jub Seven. Steve talks about toys, ho ho. Steve talks about G.I. Joe. He talks about all the toys from the comic book and the animated show. Steve talks about toys. Steve talks about toys. Steve talks about toys. Steve talks about toys. Listen, buddy, this is probably the prime opportunity to talk about the Cobra High Speed Sentry. Ooh. Or Hiss. Yeah. And I speak specifically about the 1983 release or American release, but the Hiss has gone through so many versions. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention at least some of the highlights. I'll see if we have time for them. But if we talk specifically about version one, man, is this a tank or is this a sports car on tank treads? <laughs> Either way, it's a thing of beauty. It is a total icon. And if we want to look at some of the write-ups about it, and there have been quite a few, but the one that I'm going to fall on for for reference purposes comes from a Devil's Due publication. Right. This was in their Battle Files. And it says, Cobra Hiss, high-speed sentry, weight 9.75 tons, speed fully loaded, 75 miles per hour on the road, 60 miles per hour cross-country. Range fully loaded, 275 miles. Armament, dorsal-mounted twin 30mm automatic cannons with 2,000 rounds of ammunition each. The write-up goes as follows. One of the earliest contributions from the Destro-owned Mars organization to Cobra Command, the Cobra Hiss is an inexpensive and effective specialty tank. Utilizing modular technology which allows damaged parts to be quickly removed and repaired, this fast attack vehicle is a feared part of the Cobra arsenal. Synonymous with the terrorist organization, Cobra Hiss tanks are operable in a pinch by nearly every troop and are a highly adaptable force to be reckoned with. Man, Man, these things are probably the closest thing to a Cobra icon we get. And they're 
inclusion in the comic books started as early as issue 11, the pipeline ploy. Yes, yes. Now, there were, were, were some these, interesting versions. Is there a, I'm not big up on uh, military history. Is there something that this would have been modelled on from a, a real-life vehicle, or is it completely its own thing? It's completely its own thing, I'd say, and it's better for it. You know, you are not going to ever be in danger of mistaking this for any real-world tank. Correct. Okay, it is laughable in, in some respects because it's got a glass canopy up front. It rides really high, which is a major no-no with tanks. I mean, typically, <laughs> you want to be low. Uh, you know, the lower profile your tank is, the more it can use natural cover. Yes. Uh, and the, the gunner is exposed. But let me tell you, you look at this thing once and it's unforgettable. It is in a class of its own. It is a thing of beauty and it definitely does live up to its acronym. 75 miles per hour road speed. That's like a highway speed. That's like yeah. 120 kilometers yeah, per right. hour. That's proper fast, man. In fact, in one of its early appearances, I'm going to dial the clocks back and forgive me if this gives you more homework. <sighs> but in issue number 16, Night Attack. Yes. We've got a fantastic panel where Clutch and Hawk are in the vamp pursuing a escaping his tank and... Of it, Clutch says, Yow! That thing pretty near popped a wheelie! <laughs> sure would like to see what's revving under her hood! <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the his tank is blisteringly fast. And also, its compact size means that, as demonstrated in those early issues, it can be ferried around America in the back of an Arbco Brothers circus truck. Sure can. And deployment in a pinch. It very much fit Cobra's modus operandi back then. You know, they needed something extremely fast, extremely lethal, potent, something that would really be a threat to any kind of infantry force. And the Hiss is that. I'd even go as far as to say that in the right numbers, the Hiss should be able to best any main battle tank. It's only because of the Joe's kind of guile in these issues that we looked at that they're able to take out as many Hisses as they, they did. But if the Hiss drivers had more of a strategy, I'd say the Joes and October Guard or Russians wouldn't have stood a chance, man. Yeah. These things are lethal. Yeah, these are quality, man. Now, has the driver kind of maintained the same-ish look through all the his tanks, or is it has he gone through uh, any kind of radical redesigns? I'd say the driver fell into obscurity for a long time before being revived by the 25th anniversary. They kind of did a single-carded version of him, I guess, to kind of complement the his tanks. I mean, there was a period where his tanks were being sold with just generic Cobra troopers in them. But the, the his tank driver is definitely worth taking a look at a little bit more closely because <laughs> there's some, some a few oddities to their file card, which I, I'm going to draw your attention to. Cobra Hiss Driver, codename The Enemy, file name unknown, primary military specialty, Hiss Driver, secondary military specialty, mechanical and electrical systems, birthplace, various countries, grade O5. And O5 is sort of the fifth rung in the sort of officer's pay grades. Okay. And that would make him a lieutenant colonel, which is an extremely high rank for a tank driver, right. let me just add. But, I mean, that, that might be an erroneous detail. Let's rather just ignore that for now. Possible error. Who knows? Okay. But the stuff I'd really like to get my, my teeth into is uh, in the next paragraph. Cobra Hiss drivers are selected from the very best and most evil 
of Cobra Command's thousands of yearly recruits. <laughs> Each is chosen for his physical strength and total dedication to evil. <laughs> Double for a evil. Bond villain. Oh, evil. These guys are just they're Machiavellian. They're twirling the moustaches, aren't they? That's it. Mm. His drivers are graduates of Cobra Battle School, Advanced Weapons System Training. They're qualified experts in the Hiss Vehicle and Fang Helicopter. Uh, and they have knowledge of all NATO and G.I. Joe weapons. So these guys are not only his tank drivers, but they are the intended occupants of the eponymous Fang helicopter. Yeah, that's quality. They, they kind of sound a bit like Chris covered on a previous episode, the Ice Vipers. And those guys, they were also eels Specialized, yeah. and you know, mo- multiple kind of disciplines. So Yeah, it's like you take the eel training, yeah. you add snow serpent training on top of that, yeah. and then you add, I think, techno viper training That's because it. they're you know vehicle and equipment specialists. So, yeah, so these they're guys, extremely cross trained. These, uh, these his tank drivers also seem to be pretty much loaded up on abilities. I suppose they had to be because you know it back if you dial the clocks back to 1983, you had the command staff in Cobra Commander. Destro, the weapon supplier, and Major Blood as the kind of the field commander. Then you had the Cobra officers, which filled out all the other functionaries. And then the rank-and-file troopers. So anything mechanized, these guys would have to... The, the Cobra Hiss driver would have to kind of be a shoe-in for. So, you know, you, you had a, a helicopter with no occupant. The Hiss driver was your guy. And they even went as far as to use him in issues of the comic book. If we dial the clocks way back once again to issue number 37, Twin Brothers. Man, this, guy's, the introduction, this guy's done his homework. Oh, yeah. The introduction of the, uh, the Crimson Guard commanders. Yep. We see that they're used in place of the Crimson Guard. It's very clear from the context yeah, that we're right. looking at Crimson you're Guardsmen. Right. I remember that. Yeah, man, but the 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 toy that was brought out of the toy box by the artist was in fact his tank drivers. Uh, so that's erroneous and a little bit of comic book trivia. Frank, but I guess hey, Frank when you when you're telling I think was on the art there. when you're telling Mr. Springer like, uh, and he's asking you know which one is the Crimson God? Oh, it's the red one. <laughs> <laughs> so out comes the his driver. The his drivers were the first guys, first Cobras to wear red uniforms. So easy mistake to make, but. The specialization, at least in the sort of the helicopter cockpits that I refer to, happen in uh, Darkness, issue number 30. Yeah, that's uh, a good one. On the assaults, it is the, the final assault on Maguire Air Force Base uh, in New Jersey. And we have very visibly the Cobra Hiss driver in the seat of the Fang helicopters. Which is something I wish they they did more often. It's so nice to see that kind of cross specialization, and is very gratifying. Even if you're just assembling your toys, it's a great action figure to put in the cockpit because the color contrast is so vibrant. Why put a dark action figure in the cockpit of a dark helicopter or dark tank when you've got this guy with this bright uniform? Yeah, man, it really, really is a nice aesthetic choice. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Do you have any memories associated with the His Tank, Chief? I never had the His Tank, and the only other person that I collected slash played Joe with was Ben, and he never had the His Tank, so I've never actually seen one, a toy in the flesh of the His Tank, no. It's understandable, man. You know that uh, the UK kind of missed it. Ah. Its release as a His Tank was missed. In the Action Force era, you would have gotten it as the Hyena, uh, but that's way, yeah. way back. That's like 1984-85. It uh, was colored red initially, and it came with red 
uh, Red Jackal. Yeah, a recolored okay. Destro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was recolored black and came with the more uh, stock standard uh, Hiss driver. But also, like, bef- way before our time, man. Wait a minute. I'm just pulling out. I've got in front of me. Um, Ooh. Some... Toys? You got some toys, Chief? No, not toys. Uh, card backs. And I think... Is it on one of these? Yeah, wait a minute. Is that? No. I thought I had it on uh, the back of a, a, a carded toy. I'll send you some images. I'll post these up online. This has mm. got... I've got some old ones here. So this is... I've got a Red Shadow card back. But on the For back, Red Jekyll? On the, no, on the, well, on the back it's got the enemy... But let me just send you a picture quickly. Um, it's got uh, the enemy, Baron Ironblood, Black Major, uh, Mouton, Red Shadow, Laser Exterminator and Red Laser, Shadow Track and Red Vulture. Mm, uh, but no, nice. I, I don't know if these ever uh, appeared on... So was that clipped from a card back? Yeah, I'm just sending you the card back I've got now. Yeah, so this is oh, fantastic. Red, I've got Red Shadow, um, Black Major, Mouton. These are all the figures I had as a kid. I've still got <laughs> the original. Funny, they don't have the hyena in that uh, that lineup. Doesn't have the hyena. I guess they they kind of yeah they they, they kept it to a reasonably small sampling because the image is it's quite tight. I mean, there's a lot of toy on on display. Yeah. Um, but I think the hyena would have been released. In that same wave. Yes, yes. Mm. How did you get hold of it then when you were growing up? Buddy, if if you guys didn't get it, we didn't get it either. I first became acquainted with the His Tank mold through one of its sort of later iterations. Uh, (laughs) Not a word of a lie. This is the name. Wait for it. The Septic Tank. There you go. Good lord. It was released as part of the Eco Warriors subset. Okay. It was kind of an ecological disaster vehicle. <laughs> Colored in bright orange and with a very different kind of turret that squirted water. It nevertheless used the main vehicle hull of the Hiss tank. When I discovered first that this thing had such a, a long lineage, it was in an advertisement for, um, in one of the issues of Tales of G.I. Joe. Uh, it was a reprinting of issue number 15, Red Eye to Miami. And it was a mail-away offer for the Cobra His Tank. Because these things, even though they stopped production of them, or they stopped retail in the main line, they were still sold uh, via mail-away. You'd kind of send in your flag points or your action points, yep. and you'd be able to get a His Tank in the mail. And I was like, whoa, so this thing, the septic tank that I have in my collection... It used to be dressed up in black yes. and was called the His Tank. Well, I immediately got a permanent marker and I colored in my orange septic tank to resemble <laughs> this kick-ass His Tank. I found a custom sort of turret of some generic toy yeah. and like I just basically blue tacked that to the, the turrets of the septic tank Strong. and made a His Tank out of it. Yeah, man. That's it. So I, I, I definitely had a, a love affair with... The His Tank mold. Eventually, I picked up my very own original His Tank on South African soil. I found it in the dusty back room of a comic book store in Johannesburg. Right. Yeah, man. Nice. And I made it mine. Nice. Bought the whole box. There were a bunch of stuff there from, from various uh, points of origin. They were like Action Force uh, claw rocket gliders um, and a Japanese Rattler complete with the, the, the Takara blueprints. I mean, this might be sailing plainly over your head, but hopefully some of the listeners know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But uh, it was a hot mess of different countries of origin. But uh, I've just found this on the, sh- I've just found this on the box shelf. His... I've just sent you a picture. Oof. 
Chief, you are pulling out the gems, buddy. Yeah. Oh my goodness! The action force. What the, what would they call it? The helicopter. It was. Um, yeah, it was called uh, SAS Hawk and Blades. Blades was the oh, pilot. Blades. And uh, it was yeah, Hawk. Yeah, repainted yeah. tripwire. That's it. Repainted tripwire. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks good as a pilot. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. It's quite possibly Blades in the cockpit of the Skyhawk on the cover of issue. What was it? One seven two. Okay, right, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, we posited that, didn't we? We, we said, um, was it a nice commando shout? version? Yeah, yeah, of Snake Eyes, but good shout, good shout. Could be Blades, could be Blades. Could be Blades, I hope it is. Uh, I'm saying it is. <laughs> um, listen, man, I knew not a lot about the Hiss Tank from a toy point of view, because like you said, we didn't really get it much over here. So that is um, all good stuff, as always. There'll be more toy talk next week. Uh, S-Jub's pulling out the gems to educate the chief. I'm sure most people <laughs> listening are aware of most of this stuff anyway, but um, this is it's brilliant. Love it, love it. Um, listen, man, um, I want to now confuse some people, if it's possible, so it's time for some Commonwealth Colloquialisms, a.k.a. Over Egg in the Pudding. We got a pudding. We got a pudding. We're gonna over egg that pudding. Ain't got no criticisms. We got some Commonwealth colloquialisms. So, what have you got for me this week, my friend? Well, since I am sitting in Australia at the moment, mate, um, <laughs> I figured I'd switch it up and, and give you an Aussie slang and a South African slang uh, today. If I was to say the word shocker, what do you think I'd be referring to? Shocker? So, in the UK, that is, I actually use that you know quite a bit and you hear it in sporting parlance over here so i'm gonna take a punt that it is the same i don't know if that's one in itself punt but i'm gonna take a punt Mm -hmm. that it is the same in australia as it is over here so if you've had a shocker it means you've had a mare i.e you've had a nightmare (laughs) i.e you've had it's absolutely gone wrong for you in in a fashion i i would accept but I also know it to be Aussie slang for shock absorbers. Ah, did not know that. Shockers, shockers. Uh, not to be confused with stingers. And what do you imagine a stinger is? So the only reference I have for a stinger is from watching American football where someone gets kind of a, a jolt to the leg and they've taken a stinger to the leg. So uh, as in a sharp blow. Hmm. Yeah, well, I know it's in these parts, at least, uh, northern Queensland, to be in reference to jellyfish. Ah, okay, makes sense. Careful of the stingers, mate. <laughs> Marine stingers, uh, yeah, yeah. They're called jellyfish stingers. Shockers and stingers. Shockers and stingers, not the same thing at all. No. So I, got, I was 0 for 2 there, really. Right, my one Let's is... try and even you up with a South African, then. If I was to say, yeah. what a chop... What do you imagine chop would mean? What a chop. So, sorry, I'm, I'm eating some of these plantain crisps. Um, do it, buddy. I want to eat some eggnog cookies. We'll have it. a crunch off. Um, what a chop. I'm talking, I'm, I'm, I'm saying it's not a Roger Moore <laughs> Bond chop. What I'm saying is, <laughs> I'm going to again take another guess that it is some kind of derivative, or one is a derivative of the other, of a UK thing where someone would say chopper, and you'd say, this guy's a right chopper, meaning this guy's a right idiot. So I'm going to say All idiot. All right, you, you're one out of three, buddy. It is absolutely that. Okay, good, um, good. 
you would oftentimes use it to criticize someone else, but sometimes you'd you kind of use it reflectively. Like if you did something idiotic, you're yeah. like, oh, what a chop. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I like that one. I, I use chopper quite a lot at work and no one else uses it. So no, most most people don't know what I'm talking about because I'm about 20 years older than everyone else at work. So okay. <laughs> um, listen, my one uh, comes from a comic that I read this morning and that comic is 2000 AD, uh, the galaxy's greatest mm. comic. And it's a strip. It's from a strip called Sinister Dexter, written by Dan Abnett, who wrote a lot of Guardians of the Galaxy comics for Marvel, amongst pretty much writing for uh, you know every publisher and every major uh, comic book character. But uh, he started a lot of his early work for 2080 with this strip called Sinister Dexter, which he still writes today. And it's about two hitmen in the fictional city of Download and. In this issue I read, in this strip I read, it was just like an eight-page strip, they had visited uh, London and there was a lot of Cockney rhyming slang and London-based jargon in the issue. And one of the things one of the characters said was, Oi, that's Cushty, mate. So Cushty is is the British colloquialism. Would that be BS? Uh, nope, it's almost the complete opposite. Kushti means it's oh. all right, it's A-OK. Oh. And it was also okay. a word used by Del Boy in Only Fools and Horses, which is a, I don't know if you've got it over there, but it's uh, over here it's a, a very famous and well-loved UK comedy series. Um, nice. So there you yeah, go. no, that sailed plainly over my head, man. Yeah, but uh, so if something's <laughs> Now good, I know, If Kushti. something's good or it's all right, it's Kushti. So fantastic, man! Um, I always love it when, like, it comes out of left field when <laughs> <laughs> the colloquialism. I have no idea because I mean, you know, I've, sp- I've spent a fair bit of time visiting the UK, so I I do know a handful. But yeah. man, Kushti, okay, um, dog and bone, baby. We're going to close out this show. Listen, we have jam-packed audio delights into the listeners' ears this week, but uh, we're not done yet because we've got another segment, and it goes like this: Listeners, ask us a question. Listeners ask us a question. What are they ask? What will we say when listeners ask us a question? Jesus, I didn't know what <laughs> I was saying there. Right, the first one came in from our man Phil from Canada. Oh, always good to hear from Phil. And uh, he said, question for the show. You are joining the Cobra organization. When picking out your uniform, you are given the following choice. You must choose one of the following. <laughs> eye patch and mustache or beryllium steel mask. And I will go first. I am going to pick an eye patch and moustache uh, because hmm. I think it's a bit more flair. There's a bit more flourish to it. You can kind of, you know, prance about a bit better than once you've got a steel mask on. Okay, good for headbutting and deflecting bullets and stuff. But other than that, yeah, not for me. Mate, at the cost of being boring, <laughs> I'm going to go with eye patch and tash as well and just say that I grow one hell of a moustache. I've seen it and it is very In impressive. Fact- Yes, indeed. In fact, I would wager there is no man that grows a better moustache than I. So I will out-moustachio you, brother. Yeah, you'll you'll, you'll whoop me hands down on that. But um, yeah, there you go. We also had some other ones here. So uh, Brad on the Facebook said, what was the first G.I. Joe comic book you ever read? His was G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero 27. What was your first one, sir? My brother bought it for me uh, after a rugby match. I was about seven years old and planted it in my hand on the car ride home. It was issue number 130. Okay. 
Good show. It's an Andrew Wildman. Yes. So yep. it should rank pretty highly. And it was the first part of a pit invasion. Yep. And as these things go, the first part is always gold. It tends to fall flat pretty quickly after that. But that first issue kind of existed in a bubble for me. I didn't get the second part. So I was always continuing the adventure in my playtime. Yep. And it was a very, very good starting point, yep. jump off point. Um, for mm. me, um, I will say I definitely bought Action Force issue one. I know that's not G.I. Joe, but I'm going to lead in. So Action Force issue one in 1987 i cannot remember if i had read any battle action force prior to that which had characters from gi joe in it but wasn't Mm. specifically gi joe however off the back of starting to collect action force which had reprints of the gi joe material i then put in a big back issue order to east coast comics i remember my dad had to write a banker's draft or obtain a banker's Mm. draft from lloyd's bank to send this thing over to east coast comics they sent me back a big box and i think it would have been something around i think i don't i don't i think i started collecting the issues from the reprints which were around issues 21 onwards so i'm going to say it was maybe something around issue 21 was probably one of the first ones i read Incidentally, I got my first comic book signed by Mr. Larry Harmer at the 2018 Final Jocon in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Wicked, wicked. Yeah, man. Good times. Okay, Good times. Uh, Rock has asked us, what's your favourite story arc from G.I. Joe? Mine is issues 44 to 50, the Ripcord Zartan story and the Cobra Island invasion um, and the Battle of Springfield. What, what, what about yourself? What's your favourite arc, would you say? Oof, I'd say issues 12 till 15. Nice. Uh, which deals with the, uh, the the introduction of the Sierra Gordo field of conflict. Uh, it has the Quinn action. It's got Dr. Venom action. It kind of concludes with the three of them uh, escaping Sierra Gordo in a vintage Avro Lancaster. Uh, I, I don't know, man. Uh, something about this just... I think I had most of these issues growing up, and so they really stuck with me. Yeah. Close second would be the... The first two-parter, which was uh, the Afghanistan issues. Yeah. Issues number six and seven. Oh, yes, where they team up with the To fail is to conquer, to succeed is to die. Yeah, that's got a quality cover of Stalker back-to-back with Colonel Breakoff, hasn't it? Um, Mm, Two quality covers, man. Yeah. The reflected uh, G.I. Joe and... Uh, October Guard in Cobra Commander's Helmet is also yeah. pretty cool. Uh, I'm just looking up my spreadsheet of every Joe story ever, and I actually have as my number one listed is issues 45 to 48, the Cobra Island shenanigans, I've called it. Makes sense, Larry man. Harmer, yeah. Rod Wiggum, and, you know, that's all the good stuff. And then I think the second favourite is Shakedown, but that's not that's a single issue. My next actual extended arc is... Issues 25 to 27, the introduction of Zartan and the Snake Eyes, the origin. So, mm. there you go. Um, Springer Art, which you're a fan of. I, I do, like, do quite are. like the Springer Art, yeah. yeah. What's our next yeah. uh, question up here? We have got, Peter has said, who is your favourite G.I. Joe artist? Trimpy. First impressions last, man. That's it. He drew the bulk of those special missions. He drew uh, a lot of the, the uh, initial first issues as well, obviously. So, yeah. Uh, a guy's got and style. sometimes when he had the, the the writing chores, he he also really really brought some memorable stories. Yeah, 
Codename Sea Strike, the first time the Joes went to space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, issue 119, where the Joes, with the sort of the ninja team, Scarlet, Snake Eyes, and Storm Shadow yep. invade the Cobra Consulate building. Very, very memorable for this particular Joe fan. Yep. Uh, I'm going with Rod Wiggum as my favourite. Uh, I think, I don't know, he just kind of tied everything together. It was a clean, crisp style, um, made mm, every character. It was also the sweet spot, eh? So. Uh, another question from Peter. He wants more uh, Johannesburg G.I. Joe questions. So he said, uh, <laughs> did you get the cartoon? And relating to the figures, how soon after they were released did you get them? And were there any you didn't get that you really wanted? Wow. Uh, okay, so first to address the cartoon. We did get the cartoon, but I was a victim of... Um, Perhaps being born ten years too late because the cartoon kind of preceded my 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 existence, yep. <laughs> uh, and also it was on a, a paid channel, sort of subscription channel okay. that my family didn't have, so we didn't even have any episodes on tape. Uh, I'd say my first brushing with GI Joe animated would be the movie, the 1987 GI Joe the movie, which I think I must have rented out from the the, the VHS rentals. Until they eventually retired the tape because it was so worn. <laughs> I loved, loved, loved that film growing up. Uh, talking about the toys, I'd say we were six months to a year behind the UK releases. So the way things were released in the UK, the kind of the holes in the the waves that the UK observed. So we didn't get many of the kind of the eighty-seven Joes. We didn't get uh, sneak peek or outback. At least in the original form. Right. Uh, we didn't get Dress Blues, Gung Ho, or Jinx, or Psych Outs. Instead, some of those figures found their way into Tiger Force redecos. Well, we got those. So, um, while the Americans really covered the European Tiger Force, we actually had them released, you know, in the supermarkets. Right. They were a dime a dozen. I'd say that's probably the the coolest kind of side effect of being in a former British colony. But, you know, we we, we definitely... We're getting the scraps from the, the table, so we got the kind of, the more basic vehicles and the, perhaps the ones that didn't sell as well. But, I think I touched on it last week, like the Darklon Evader, yeah. the Fang 2, the Pulverizer, we got in abundance. We didn't get high ticket items like the Rolling Thunder, no. for instance. But were you, you know, aware stuff that you at that expected. stage with kind of a lack of internet, were, were you aware of what was available? Buddy... They say your life flashes before your eyes, before you die. Uh, I think my flash will be a carbon copy of the 1990 and 1991 G.I. Joe, in, like, leaflet. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the promotional pa- pamphlet that you would get in vehicle boxes. Because, man, I poured over that stuff so much. Which one's Just the 1991? I'm pulling out a couple of leaflets out of my bag right now. Okay, 1990 is the one that chronicles the uh, switchover from the Action Force to G.I. Joe, the Action Force. Okay. It has vehicle blueprints on the one side, and then on the other side, it's got vehicles like the Rolling Thunder, the Demon, the Swamp Masher, the Imp. It has the Tiger Force releases. I saw the, the Tiger Force Tiger Fly, and I was like, this is incredible. This this looks at odds with everything else I've ever seen because it looks like a real world helicopter. Right. It was photographed extremely well, and by that stage, GI Joe designs were pretty off the wall. So to see like something that looks like the AH one Huey Cobra uh, in plastic form, like it just it felt like a completely different toy line. Yeah. It was 
Yeah, man, it was a tease, I yeah. should say. In a pre-internet age, these images were like something you examined under a microscope. Yeah, that's good. Good stuff. Mm. What we got up next? Uh, Bart is saying, what are our opinions on the brainwave scanner? <laughs> you are first chief. I've spoken enough. Um, well, I know that Chris was not a fan of the brainwave scanner, just because kind of similar to what Bart is echoing in the rest of his um, question here. He's saying it's overused and it's often a scapegoat and, you know, you can use it to... Uh, blame the scanner for things that are happening but i think i'm okay with its usage now again i don't know if that's going to change if it starts getting used even more than it has been but there has been recently almost every issue has had some brainwave scanner appearance or plot point tying to it but i'm actually okay with it at this moment in time feels to me like we came in on the kind of the saturation point so you and chris were dealing with the brainwave scanner being used way too much i jumped on i think in issue 169 where mindbender trashes it and i think in a very literal sense that's larry saying okay guys i get it this is overplayed let me get rid of it for now and give you blue ninjas rather (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, if you if you want to find sympathy for the devil, yes, it was overused. But the science of it was so fascinating. When it was presented in issue ten, it was a very coherently thought out way of reading thoughts. Uh, for anyone who needs a refresher, you basically play images uh, in front of the subject and record what how the brain interprets those images, like the signals that the brain produces when you, say, present an image of an apple or a car or a book. Yep. And once you've recorded those, those impulses, those brain waves, you can then create a vocabulary of that person's thoughts. So when you are just playing the sort of the raw data, the brain waves themselves, you can kind of translate that using this, this lexicon of images into very visible, you know, thought reading. You're basically reading someone's mind through Google Translate (laughs) or a 1980s understanding of Google Translate. (laughs) Yeah. Which is fascinating. I mean, if, if if Larry was the first author to really kind of synthesize those ideas, then it's a stroke of genius. And the guy does deserve some credit for that. Yep, yep. Agree, agree. Matt has said, what is our favorite non-Joe related comic series? Uh, I think for... I'm going to guess yours. Yeah, go on. I'm going to guess it. It's it's fell easy. Judge Dredd. Yeah, 2000 AD. Oh, no, wait. Or or as, you know, long-term listeners will know, I don't particularly like the... what You know, what year were you born in? 1984. Yeah, exactly. You don't say 1984, do you? So you say, no, you split it up, 1984. (laughs) So, you know, we shouldn't be saying 2000 AD. It should be 2000 or something like that. Um, so 2000 AD, 2000 AD would be my favourite comic of all time. Um, I think G.I. Joe, if I look Chief, at... you're definitely going to have to die on that hill, man, of that, that, that the sort of naming convention to the dates. <laughs> oh, Chiefy. I don't know, buddy. I don't know. I know, I know it's going to irk you to have these two schools of thought, but like just the way it rolls off your tongue has to dictate how you... How you say it, okay, maybe, maybe. Um, uh, listen, uh. listen. Um, GI Joe may well have some of my all-time favourite stories across all comics, but in terms of a single published series, nothing is ever going to beat 2000 AD for me. Been going weekly since 1977, still to this day, 
and that is a phenomenal achievement. Uh, it is still, to this day, my favourite. When it arrives, I've got a subscription, it arrives through the door weekly, and it is it still brings me joy when I get that comic. Um, I have got honourable mentions. I've got, like a, you know, I think about a 400-issue run of Fantastic Four, and I think a similar run of Daredevil, maybe a 300-issue run of Uncanny X-Men. So those stuff still hold a place mm, in my Claremont. heart. I think Oof. ultimately my favourite non-superhero, non-2000 AD work is maybe Scalped by Jason Aaron and R.M. Guerrera, which is set on a Native American Indian reservation. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I kind of like all genres. You know, I'm going off superheroes a little bit now as I get a bit older, but... You know, I'm 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 a comic book fanboy, so you know, there you go. What about yourself? Oh, you know, Joe is so head and shoulders above every other comic book series for me. I I honestly have not collected any other series, and that just speaks to my my kind of toy fanaticism. But I'd be remiss if I didn't say that Watchmen made me feel things that no other comic book has to date. Uh, yeah. And to echo you, man. 2000 AD has kind of been something that I've drifted in and out of. But most recently, I picked up a collected edition of Rogue Trooper. And it's so good. Yeah. So good. Well, some, Rogue some of the early stuff, yeah. Buddy, yeah, from the beginning right through to, I think, issue 200 okay, or something yeah, yeah. crazy like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, man, just the, the, the designs, the artwork, it's on another level, man. Yeah. The specificity to technical detail is something that I really just pour over, man. Like, panel by panel, it's just... Each panel seems to be worthy of blowing up and, and hanging on your wall. Yeah. I mean, you think you had the, the early fantastic. first artist on that, I think it was Dave Gibbons, who was actually the artist on Watchmen. Yeah, well, geez, there's there's a crossover right yeah, there, man. Yeah. I, I had no idea, but... Dave and Gibbons then you get Cam, Cam Kennedy, who made... Rogue Trooper his own and did some Dread stuff as well and did some Batman and Punisher stuff as well but yeah you know 2000 AD has had a slew of fantastic creators over the years and still does but um, yeah you why know. have we not seen a Rogue Trooper feature film yeah that's a good shout that's a good shout he had a video game love 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 that something yeah this blue skinned genetically modified trooper caught in this massive epic struggle but very much having his own agenda yeah. and his three sidekicks represented by fallen comrades whose memories and minds are encoded in in microchips that are loaded into his equipment bagman gunner and helm hey these three voices warring in his head yeah yeah it's fantastic Good stuff. Jeez, Good voices stuff. from beyond the grave uh we've got one more here we got uh, matt and he says matt little boy the previous one was matt smith matt little boy says would you like to see the original Real American Hero comic series made into a cartoon that is aimed at adults? Hell and yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the only the only addendum I'd add to that is uh, I, I'd first want to see something akin to special missions because I'm scared of weighty continuity, particularly when you come to a cartoon which has a very finite shelf life. I mean... Production values being what they are, you can produce maybe 12 parts maximum, uh, and then you're going to kind of need to reassess and, and come up with the rest of the money. But uh, yeah, dude, absolutely. What a no-brainer. Thank you, Matt. That, that's a great question, and I'd have to say absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure 
so we're, we're talking about the original Real American Hero run. Are we thinking, I'm not sure if you could start from number one and kind of chronicle all those issues in com- in cartoon format. Do you think you could or would you need to start where it started getting a bit more meaty and extended arcs so around kind of the pipeline ploy kind of era? Or would, do you think it could work because you would need, you know, potentially one-off standalone cartoon episodes? Do you think you could start from number mm. one upwards? Pipeline ploy makes for a pretty good hot opening, but I don't know. The G.I. Joe historian in me says, why not just go the whole hog? Operation Lady Doomsday. Bam. Yeah. It's, you know, Would you launch you, out of the gate with think, the original 13. Do you think you've got voices in your head of how the characters sound? And do you think you'd be disappointed if, if they differed from either the previous cartoons or what you've got as how you how you hear them sounding? Do you think they could go wrong there or...? You just want to see it regardless. Oh man, we live in very different times. Like voice costs have shrunk big time from the heyday of the 80s. You know, a, a kid's cartoon in the 80s had dozens of voice actors. Like great voice artists just coming in to read like three or four lines. Flash forward to the now, you're probably going to get about five or six voice artists that will have to spread the talents quite thin, you know, cook up different voices, different ways of approaching characters to make them sound distinct. I'm sure they'd be professionals and they'd hold it down. But if you're asking if we'd see uh, the kind of depth of virtuosity that the 80s tune had, it's doubtful, man. That is a very hard um, precedent to to try and and approach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, unlikely. There you go. There you go. Hope we answered your questions satisfactorily if for some reason we have i say we have if for some reason i have left you out or missed out your question apologies uh, please get in contact and we'll read it out on the next episode but um wow look i'm looking at the clock Chief, that One was hour great, 45 on the clock whiz. buddy we have uh we've been going at it Oof, i got a lot to say man thanks for the questions those were fantastic yeah, always great to get um, mm. responses and interaction from from the fans so that you know makes it all worthwhile and worth doing um if you want to help us out a little bit further you can do that you can get onto itunes or stitcher uh, rate and review us give us five stars tell them that chief and s jub sent you um you know <laughs> that will help us out it's not for our egos or anything it's just boosts us up the rankings and that funky uh, itunes algorithms uh, you can find us in all the usual places if you want to get in touch and that is talking underscore joe on twitter that is talking joe comics on the instagram talking joe comics at gmail.com if you want to send an email and talking joe a gi joe podcast on the facebook uh, if the people want to check out your work where can they do that sir gi Joeberg on everything <laughs> insta twitter youtube podbean you can't miss yeah, he's cranking out uh the yeoman's work there so it's all good stuff please check it out if you want to get check out me you can find me on chiefy two shoes on twitter i don't really do much there to be honest so you won't find much but you can also find me on the outer timers which is the other podcast i do with former co-host ben we talk about movies video games etc uh we're going to get old s jubs on for a guest appearance at some point as well so whoop, stay whoop. tuned for that but um well it's time for my bed man I, the missus is going to get annoyed with me when i go down this loft hatch and bang a load make a load of noise and wake her up so uh this we're going to sign Sorry, off Chief. so with all that said and done we will catch you down the road see you guys bye